Olas Media. Olas Media presents Cannabis Enlightened. Now here's your host, Dr. Leroy Brady. Hello and welcome everybody to another wonderful episode of Cannabis Enlightened. I am your host, Dr. Leroy. And this episode, as all our episodes, are brought to you by March and Ash. And today we have the distinct pleasure of having a very gifted scientist with us this today. And he's going to talk about uh, cannabis from a scientific standpoint, but I guarantee you from a scientific standpoint that you will understand what he's talking about and what the significance is between what he does and the cannabis that is brought to you through the cannabis dispensaries. And without any further ado, I'd like our guest to come on and introduce himself to us and tell us a little bit about himself. Reggie? Hi, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so uh, I'm Reggie Cadino, um, and I, I'm currently the chief science officer of Front Range Biosciences, um, which was a fairly long journey through the cannabis industry and uh, an educational path um, that I think you're alluding to. Um, so my, my, my background is, um, in, as a biologist, is in molecular genetics and, and biochemistry. And Ooh. basically what that really means is that <clears throat> I'm old enough that I was, I, I entered at the very beginning of molecular biology. So, so when there were just things that were being discovered uh, after um, DNA sequencing, you know, so I, I've done all types of DNA sequencing from chemical cleavage all the way through current like nanopore or long read, you know, uh, high tech stuff. Um, and we used to, uh, I, I'm old enough that I, I used to purify my own restriction enzymes, right? So, so, so back when, before you could just, you know, go to the local dispensary of molecular biology supplies and buy these things, we had to create them ourselves and isolate them from the organism. So I have a really deep understanding of DNA, nucleic acids. And, and, and so what I guess my bent was, was always trying to understand why, right? Why did genes turn on? Why was there expression? What caused that expression? How did that expression change? So, and, and early on, the only things you could really to look at um, because there was an easily, easily measurable outcome was biochemical pathways, right? So, so things like sugar metabolism or, um, you know, uh, antibiotic resistance, the genes, you know, that turned on and off for, for those kind of things in bacteria and yeast. So, so my understanding uh, is basically of how do these things interplay and, and control what ends up being what we see as a phenotype or an expression in a plant, right? So, or, or in any organism. So that's a long way of saying is, you know, my training is in being able to understand the bits and pieces of genetics that end up making us as people or plants look and do what they do. Although, you know, so there's a, you know, there's a big black box there, right? Where something happens in biology and, and we call that biochemical pathways, right? So in order to metabolize sugar, uh, in order for us to, um, you know, 
take in oxygen and bind that to the hemoglobin in our blood. Those all happen because of biochemical interactions. So my training is in how do those things happen? What is responsible for controlling those things? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so when we talk about um, biology, let's, let's give um, the listening audience who may not have been to college recently, when mm -hmm. we talk about biology, what is that the study of? Um, so biology is typically the study of biological or organisms, right? So, so um, and, and, and typically biology is a catch-all term for, you know, plants, animals, et cetera. So um, it's kind of a misnomer because I didn't study everything. I studied specifically, uh, I, I've done the entire evolutionary chain. I've done bacteria, which is the, you know, uh, single cell organisms, yeast, which is now a, a nucleated single cell organism, and then, you know, up, up the chain, right? So, um, uh, but generally focused on plants um, and, um, or, or, or bacteria and plants. So, um, but biology is basically the study of what keeps or, or what processes go on to make these things live and reproduce, right? So okay. um, now that also is a, is a huge, you know, there's so many things involved in there. And, and, and my specialty, molecular genetics and biochemistry, is a very, you know, kind of directed look at the processes involved in in genetics and in, in, in DNA replicating itself, being, you know, being the blueprint that then gives us the, the RNA that gives us the protein. So I study that kind of aspect specific to, um, you know, biochemistry, right? And, and biochemistry, again, is a large term, um, but basically the things that allow us to respire, um, the things that, res that allow us to you know, um, convert food into glucose and starch. Those are all biochemical networks that are coordinated. And so I study the, my specialty is the coordinated regulation of the, the genes that give you these biochemical pathways that work. How does that, how does that interact or intersect with cannabis? Uh, so um, again, you know, uh, cannabis is, is a biological organism. So, so it has a bunch of processes that it needs to, to um, be able to do successfully, right? It, in, in its interaction with the environment so that we can in fact cultivate it and, 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 and harvest it for its, for its products, right? So, um, so how that translates is understanding the genome so that we can see what genes, and it's just very similar to, to human genome work, you know, where after we sequenced the human genome, we were able to look for things like genes that were abnormal, that caused cancers, that, that caused, you know, disease, that, um, that were responsible for, you know, um, uh, you know uh, congenital defects, right? So, um, so by understanding the genome, right, by understanding what genes are, are make up that organism, and then understanding how differences in the gene sequence might either have an, a, a beneficial or a negative influence, and then being able to use those, that information for breeding purposes, uh, for monitoring, for, uh, and for even in looking at the interaction between the plant and its environment and also the plant in the soil. 
So, um, so that's how a lot of the work that I do interacts specifically with cannabis and the basis of the research and all of the, the, the basically the, or, the organization that I've put together because I have 12, 12 scientists that work for me. So, Wow. And uh, okay, so you have 12 scientists that work for you. Are they all working on cannabis or they're working on other types of, of plants? So um, the work that we do is, is specifically now directed towards cannabis. At one point we did uh, other, other plants as well, coffee, but we've shut down the non-cannabis divisions, just coffee, uh, taking over the coffee, uh, the coffee plant, you know, trade in, in the United States didn't serve a lot of purpose because it really wasn't a coffee plant trade in the United States. Um, so uh, it's because at one point there was a burgeoning like local grown coffee industry that was coming up in Santa Barbara and some other places in California. And, and uh, we were actually servicing some of the, that area and it didn't go anywhere. So um um, so, so we we, fo we focus on hemp and cannabis. Uh, well, I should say, cannabis, which unfortunately is incorrectly broken into hemp and marijuana, right? So, um, it's realistically the same plant, and so all of our work is focused on that for specifically improving cultivars, right? So, ultimately, when you, when you do any plant or agronomic research, it's for two things: it's to either understand or to improve, right? So. Um, and in order to improve, you have to understand first, right? So you have to lay the foundation. And because of the prohibition against cannabis for the last hundred years, right, there really has been no uh, understanding of what the genome looked like of cannabis and, and, and how the plant really interacted in a systematic way with its environment, which is pretty amazing because it's the same plant, very similar genetics. Obviously evolution has caused some differences, right? But ultimately the, the same plant that we see now, that's hemp and, and you know, African varieties or you know, Tibetan varieties, you know, vastly different in their geographies. Those all came from the same parent plant, right? So it was a, a progenitor cannabis plant that through migration around the, the planet with humans, right, um, adapted in a way that very few other plants can, right, and so that's really one of the special things about cannabis, and that's what we're trying to understand. Why is cannabis so adaptable? Why can it take on so many forms and do so many things? And ultimately, that comes down to its genetics and the biochemistry, right, and, and, and the way that interplays with the environment. Is cannabis brought to your uh, laboratory uh, as a leaf, or do you grow the cannabis within the confines of your laboratory? Um, um, exactly, exactly. How do your scientists interact with the cannabis? So, it, it, you know, that's it's a great question. So, so, when I first got into the industry, right, um, we were uh, the same people that are with me now. Were the basis of um, a regulatory testing laboratory structure, right? So we actually were a, a, a testing laboratory in the, in the uh, registered with the Bureau of you know, Cannabis in, in California. Um, and so a lot of our early work was regulatory based. And so samples were brought in and you know, through the whole regulatory network. Uh, more recently as the, as the chief science officer at Front Range, we're actually in agronomics or an ag tech and a, <clears throat> And a, and a breeding company, right? So ultimately 
what I produce now is either seed uh, or or clonal propagates of of certain varieties, right? And so we do it both on on the hemp and regulated cannabis side. And so when we do a lot of our work, um, there are in fact field trials where either uh, we have cannabis that is grown in one of our um, greenhouses or intense in one of our research facilities, uh, or it's actually grown outdoors if it's hemp with partners or in, in certain cases uh, in Colorado, we actually had a regulated cannabis uh, partner as well, trial on, I think it was 10 acres, a number of our varieties on 10 acres of, of outdoor land and, and, and cannabis. So, and then depending on where we are, so the cannabis that's grown and cultivated in California goes to our R&D space in California, unless it's hemp, in which case we can send it anywhere. Uh, the, the regulated cannabis that is grown in Colorado is tested at our facility in, in Colorado. So, um, so because of, of the boundaries and structures, we have to have more than one facility. Um, but you know, because also of the licensing, we are allowed to take it from an outdoor field and bring it into the laboratory, whether we grow it or not, as long as it's registered within that within the you know the metric framework of that of that state. Okay, so. Um... A couple of things there that I wanted to to ask you about. Uh, one is that you mentioned three different terms. You, you mentioned cannabis, hemp, and the word I use not too much, marijuana. Um, when you say marijuana, are you also talking about cannabis? So cannabis is in fact the correct terminology, right? So unfortunately, because of the regulatory structures that we have to operate in, Right, so there is a category category of an a completely artificially determined category of cannabis called hemp, and that's regulated because it has less than 0.3% THC in the flower. Right um, now, I you heard me say regulated cannabis or marijuana. Right, so and those are the ones that you typically find in the adult use categories or the um, you know, the recreational categories, de depending on it, the state, right? And, and those are regulated differently. And so because of that, even though it's the same plant for me as a scientist, I have to treat them differently and handle them differently. And I even have to do research on them in separate establishments, right? So I can't do hemp research in my cannabis facility and vice versa. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. So now I, I, I still want to go... That clears that up for me. Uh, how about you talked about uh, looking at cannabis and hemp from a cultivation standpoint? So are you um, are you looking at or are you developing seed or yes. are, are your people looking at what grows from the seed? Um, ultimately, right? In order for let me go back even a little bit further. I hate to say it this way, but, you know, agronomics farming, right, um, is a commoditized industry, right? So at the end of the day, what has to happen is, is the most efficient production means possible because the, the, as you bulk up or as you produce more, the price that you can get goes down, right? So ultimately then it becomes a margin-driven 
business just like any other. I hate to say that, right? Um, and, and, and ultimately that is what will happen with cannabis, right? Like every other big farming operation is seed-based, right? So it's very expensive to go from clonally propagated. If, imagine the labor it would take to, to plant 1500 clones, right? By manually, because there's really no way to do it with a machine, right? Uh, as opposed to just driving up and down a lane with a seed thing that just punches every six feet, right? And it drops a seed, right? So, so suddenly now, the cost of labor goes way down as you are now looking at scaling up production, right? So to do that, you have to have uniform seed, right? And uniform seed comes from a process where you do breeding experiments, you take some of that seed, you throw it out into the field and you look to see what you've got. You pick the best ones, you breed the best ones, then you do, the, do it the next year again until you get to a, a population that where you have, if you throw a thousand seed out, 995 will look identical, right? Because that's what you need to be able to guarantee the person that's planting that seed is going to be satisfied and be able to make his margins on his side, right? So what, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of agronomics that people don't ever see. When you go to the store and you get your strawberry, that strawberry is likely the result of 10 years of breeding and cultivation R&D before it hit the market. That's the truth, right? So, so <clears throat> cannabis, unfortunately, doesn't exist that way, right? So um, what we've done is, is we've hybridized cannabis a lot. And so because of it, when you do breeding, you end up with a population of seed that looks nothing like each other. And then from that point, you have to then take what you want and then breed down till you get to the point where you get that uniform seed population. And that typically without heavy R&D and specialized um, kind of tricks, right, which have not yet been developed for cannabis like other plants because we haven't been studying it long enough, right? You're talking eight to 10 years for cannabis as well, right? Before you get to a stable seed population, right? Um, so are you saying it, it takes 10 years to perfect um, a seed yeah. that will, will grow um, fast and will produce the type of cannabis that is, I guess, profitable? Uh, yes and no, right? So right now the cannabis industry exists generally as clonal propagates. There's very few people growing from seed. Generally only breeders start with seed and they use that seed to pick some parents that will be the next generation donor, right? But what happens is, is when somebody finds something very unique and, and potentially profitable in the industry right now, they clone it. They make genetically identical copies because they clone the plant and, they, and then they root that cutting. And then they now get a plant that's identical to the one that was cut off of, right? <clears throat> now, if you take a plant and you cut it 20 times and you get the 20 cuttings to stick, you now have 20 copies of that mom and you can do the same thing. So you can see how you can clonally increase, right? You know, and it's just a matter of time before you can take one plant, you can make a hundred moms, and then every two or three weeks off of those hundred moms, if you're getting, you know, uh, ten or twenty cuts, you're making a thousand to two thousand cuts a week, right? Or every couple of weeks, right? So, so this is how the the industry currently operates, and you have 
And unfortunately, because it operates that way, it was the way a lot of disease got in. So I'm sure you guys have heard about HPLBD, which is like the, which is like the, you know, HIV of the cannabis industry, right? So, and I say that that way because it's an RNA virus. It is latent and you don't know you got it until it's too late. Reggie, is that, is that some of the, 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 the what, I, what can I call it? Disease? Is that a disease on the, disease. On the plant? Would that be found on plants that are grown like at home? Let's say if somebody wants to grow cannabis. If you get a cutting from a dispensary, it could be. Okay. If you if you start with a seed, it is highly unlikely. Okay. Right. So and and here's the nice thing from scientific research that, you know, in fact, we've done some of it and others have done it as well. When you take diseased plants that have HPLBD and you breathe them together, right? And you can look at the seed less than 10% of the seed come out with the disease. So mm. just breeding is a good way to clean from disease, at, le at least for HPLVD. So, um, so uh, your lab, your, um, can I call it a lab? It's a laboratory. Right? <laughs> so it's, so the, the, there's a lab as part of the entire process, but yeah. So yes, we have a lab, but, but it, it's really a, a, a breeding and product development division. Okay, okay. So, yeah. you're, you're breeding and product di division. Yeah. Um, do you you work more with clones or with seed? Um, we, we we do both, right? So so in order to produce millions of seed, right, you you need a bunch of the same plant to be able that's all seed. bred to the same pollen donor, right? Right. So so yes. So um, our goal is our goal is to transition hopefully all of our clients to inbred seed that performs well for them in their in their circumstance right um but for us to be able to brood, produce that seed we still have a need for some clonal propagation i have a tissue culture lab where you know in order you know we do the whole testing and cleaning and 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 to make sure that our stock that goes into our breeding programs uh is is clean right um, and just a few years ago, um, we were distributing clones because there were still so many people who in the industry were accustomed to clones. And, e and even in the regulated cannabis you know, of California and Colorado, clone sales is still the, the, the way most people do it because nobody has scaled up yet. And so right now labor is manageable, but once you start planting a hundred acres outdoor, there's no way you're planting clones because you're going to have to have a labor force, right? And uh, of a sizable labor force, because you don't want a two guys planting a hundred acres, you know, over a course of time, because then everything, you know, you're not harvesting on the same time because by the time, you know, by the time they get done with acre 100, they're, you know, two weeks after and stuff is already growing, right? So, <clears throat> if so it, it sounds to me like if you are planting seeds and you're planting uh, clones, your clones are going to come up before the seeds will. Um, so, <clears throat> yes, but generally, right, you, you can plant seed sooner than you can uh, put clones in, right? So clones generally, you take them, you root them, and within a short period of them rooting, you're putting them out into the field, right? Um, and so there's a, 
potential there for clones that are are not so hardy or or plants that are are uh, slow to start. They they don't do quite as well as seed. Generally, plants that come from clones uh, in an outdoor environment, at least, do not produce quite as much as plants that come from seed. And, and there are different theories about it, whether it has a taproot or not. So plants from seed will create a taproot. A taproot is the big central root that drives down and anchors, but also um, because it goes further down, produces a larger network of, of root than generally a clone, which starts as a little mass and, um, and doesn't have a tap root. And so most of the roots go out laterally, right? So at least that's the theory. <clears throat> and okay. so generally you see plants that come from seed are hardier, but again, if you're doing things indoors and that's the other thing, what is the method of cultivation? If you're cultivating indoors, some of these things don't matter, right? So, and, 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 and now, and that's a whole other aspect of, of, of cannabis genetics because we see a lot of things that are really sexy and sell very well, but those plants, would never survive natural selection outdoors. Stay with us. We'll be back with more Dr. Leroy after this quick break. You're listening to Cannabis Enlightened on the Olas Media Podcast Network. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. You're listening to Cannabis Enlightened on the Olas Media Podcast Network. Uh, I, I noticed that most dispensaries have clones. They sell clones. Mm-hmm. They do not sell seed. Is that because the clones are hardier or, or don't take no. as long to mature? No. So, so, so the, there's two... The timescales of cultivation from seed and 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 um, clones is different, right? Because so, because essentially, when you had to take a clone, the part to get to that size, you've bypassed that. Somebody else has done that for you, so you, you're getting a plant that's excellent tall, right? But at, at at that point, you still have to up pot it, and then you still have to get it to a certain size. Then you still have to then flower it, right? And and the time for a seed plant or a clone plant to go from the timing switch to finish flower is the same, right? It's just that to get to a plant that's three feet tall from seed takes you a couple extra months, but you don't see that because you got the six inch tall plant and then it gets to three feet tall in like four weeks, right? So, so realistically, when you look at the critical time period from Timing switch to flower, they behave the same. It's just who 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 grew the biomass before you got it? Was it you or was it somebody else? So so the timing is so, so people look at it kind of the wrong way because when you get something that's already 
done its first four weeks of growth, but you didn't do it, you think it's taking you less time, but it didn't really take less time, right? Because you still have, even when you take a cutting, it takes seven to 10 days to root. And then it takes a little while to acclimate. And then it takes a little while for it to start growing, right? So somebody else has done that work for you, but the time still counts, right? Well, the time still counts. However, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, if I get a clone, the clone is going to uh, mature and provide me with the, the, the cannabis that I want, that I'm looking for, sooner than a seed would. Okay, so if you started from a seed and then you took your own clones from that seed and you maintained your own mother stock, then you would have the same situation, right? So, 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 so it's about the process, right? And or it, there's a process to make clones, and and there's and that's why clones cost between seven and ten dollars a piece, right? So you're paying between seven and ten dollars for a clone, right? Um, what, and that's in bulk. Bulk seed costs two dollars a piece, right? So already you're saving three and a half fold right there. So so when but when you're dealing, it doesn't sound three and a half dollars doesn't sound you know three hundred fold you know five extra bucks doesn't sound like a lot. Then multiply that by ten thousand, right? So now you've just saved yourself fifty thousand dollars on. So it depends on the scale, right? Again, and so the the home grower would probably never consider any of these things, right? And for them, going out and buying six clones a year is a good deal and gets them further. Yes, right? But again, it depends on, uh, on how you look at it and what scale you're looking at it at. Okay, so that if you are a cultivator, a cul if you're a cultivator, you want to deal with seed rather than clone. If you're a large scale outdoor cultivator, absolutely. Right. Right? Okay. So absolutely. Uh, and, and even larger scale indoor cultivators are now understanding that seed's also a way to go. A lot of people are starting to do this autoflower thing from seed and auto autoflower can only be done from seed. Right? What's a, what's an, uh, tell me about autoflower. Autoflower is a plant that is photo sensitive, photo periods insensitive. So it runs a certain number of days, clicks on the flowering program without a light trigger, doesn't need light or whatever. Right. So as long as, you know, you can grow it in, you know, 18 or 24 hour light all day long, but at day 50, if it's a 50 day program, it will start flowering on day 50 and then it will initiate its flower program and X number of weeks later, you'll have bud. Uh, but because of that, you can't clone auto flowers, right? So, so now the only way to do, to do a large scale auto flower is to do from seed. And so that means that now you are, you're constantly having to make seed because you can't clone them. And so if you're an auto flower producer, you know, the whole thing that I said before about, well, you know, for me, if I want to make millions of seed, right. I do it by taking the one parent that I want and making a whole bunch of her and taking pollen and then spraying all the pollen from the one male on all the clones of the one plant. Well, you can't do that. So for autoflower, you have to do continual seeding freezes. So if you take X number of plants that are male and female, you let them do their thing. Or you take some and you reverse them, you make them you know, feminized pollen, and then you take that batch of seed and then you do the same thing with that batch of seed. So, so you, if you start with 10 seed, you might end up with a thousand seed or a couple thousand seed afterwards. So to get to the millions, you have to take those couple of thousand now and then do the same thing. The clients that come to you for clones or seed, mm -hmm. 
which is the largest demand for the clones or the seeds? Um, so it's a very interesting question. So um, in on the hemp side, it went from clones to seed. A few years ago, we sold over a million clones, and then the uh, the year afterwards, it went down dramatically, and we sold a lot more seed. Um, it hasn't switched on the cannabis side. On the cannabis side, um, we we are seeing that the traditional method of cultivation, which is from clone, at least because most of cannabis is still indoor grown, um, and you know the uh, the outdoor cultivation that happens up in 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 the uh, you know Northern California, I'll, I'll, even a lot of that is still from clone. Right. A lot of those guys are still doing from clones. So and again, it's because nobody really has stabilized seed. Right. And I think that gets back to what we were talking about before, where, you know, when you go to a dispensary and you see a, a variety called Blue Dream. Right. And you can go to any dispensary and you can get that Blue Dream. But that's because somewhere the, the originator of that variety cloned it and handed it out to a number of people who were then able to clone it and then sell it, right? So, um, and until you can get to the point where um, you can get a, you can take a seed batch and you can guarantee that that person will get the same kind of consistency, right? From every clone, right? So if you go buy six clones of Blue Dream, chances are you will get six identical identical plants in your yard, right? If you were to take six seed from a blue dream self, so that's where you take the pollen of blue dream and you, and you fertilize blue dream with pollen that came from blue dream, right? You will get in your hand a, a batch of seed where you will have six or eight or 10 different looking plants come out of that of that cross. And that's because it hasn't been stabilized, genetically stabilized, right? And so that's right now the barrier to entry for seed in the cannabis industry because people want that thing. And not everything will come out the same until you get to the point where I said 10 or so generations down by doing that selfing process every seed will start to look the same. And in fact, there's a, a mathematical formulation that you can do, where you can figure out based on the size of the genome and things like corn that have a very complicated genome, it takes them 18 generations to, inbred, to get inbred seed, right? Cannabis, because of the size of the genome will probably be somewhere between 12 to 15 or 18 as well, probably unless we can develop some of these new tricks that have been developed in other organisms, other plants that break that down. Something, something called double haploid breeding, right? So where you, you basically take the gametes and you fuse them together and make a diploid, right? And then that diploid, because they came from two sperm cells, right? Um, or two, two pollen cells, right? Um, is 100% identical, right? And so, so in one generation, you've gone from a very heterogeneous genome to a very homogeneous genome. Homogeneous being mean they're the same on, on both parent uh, strands are the same because of what we just talked about. And heterogeneous is what when you normally have normal, you know, 
the pollen and and an ovule and you know um, an egg coming together or sperm and an egg come together from from a male and a female, right? So then you have a heterogeneous genome because you get one strand from the dad, one strand from the mom, right? So, <clears throat> um, so, so in and in, in closing, where do you see the future going? Um, you know, again, it's 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 agriculture, right? So so at some point. Um, it will be, there will be uh, vendors with large catalogs of very stabilized seed. And you'll be able to, at some point, be able to go through a catalog and say, hey, oh, that plant has what we want, right? And so we were going to order a bunch of seeds of those things. Um, along the way to get there is kind of some of the work that we do is, you know, you develop the breeding markers, you do the chemical studies that help you support the breeding marker work, right? So, you know, so we, when we're looking for minor cannabinoids, THCB, CBDB, CBC, some of these things other than THC or CBD, um, you know, you have to find them chemically first. So that's, there's a process of phenotypic hunting, right? Pheno hunting, where you have to go find the interesting things you have to then study them, develop markers so that you can now take these traits and put them in any combination you want. That's where we are with a lot of our other agronomics right now, right? That have been studied for a long time. You know, we can do those things with strawberries, blueberries, you know, the good old the specialty varieties that come out of citrus. So, you know, at some point we will catch up in the bioinformatics and the genomics and the chemistry, and we'll be able to breed cannabis for specific effect, for specific medicine, and, and for, you know, that have been augmented by those things that give you faster flowering time, higher yields, right? More disease and pest resistance, just like we've done with agriculture everywhere else. And so I think ultimately, you know, we have a little ways to go because we, we are so far behind in the understanding, but ultimately that's where cannabis will be. I'm going to make a point of, of asking you if we can check back in with you um, in, in, in a couple of months or so to find out, you know, where you are, what have been the advances, uh, successes, and um, I guess I have to say failures, uh, because failures also lead you to successes yeah. in the future, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so it, it's, I would love to come back. And, and so agronomics, you know, plant agriculture, there are more failures than success. You have to be comfortable <laughs> with that. So. Great. So can you, um, as, as we wind up and close, can you um, let our audience know again who you are and, and your mm -hmm. particular company? So I'm uh, Reggie Gadino. I'm the Chief Science Officer at Front Range Biosciences. Uh, and we work on hemp and cannabis because it's, uh, it is a great plant. And I, I think that, thank you very much, Reggie. I think that when, when many of the listeners listen to this, they're going to want to contact you or find out how can they get into the, uh, the type of business that you're into, because it sounds absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Well, it, science is great. Um, so if I had to say one thing, we, we do not have enough people of color in, who are in, in the science and or real hands-on development of, of cannabis, right? So we, we have, a, we have, you know, we have all sorts of people doing everything else. But like when I, when I go to conferences, you and I met at a conference, right? Uh, the, the, 
the distribution of, of people that we saw there was, was lacking. And, and so hopefully people like us will hear this and, and say, hey, you know, I can do that. I'm a good scientist. I, I, I can do those things because, uh, you know, the opportunity is there. I think if you're there, there would be motivated. No question about it. Thank you very much, Reggie. This Thanks. has been um, extremely interesting. This has been another episode of Cannabis Enlightened. I am your host, Dr. Leroy, and this has been brought to you by March and Ash. Thank you very much. If you'd like to hear more Cannabis Enlightened with Dr. Leroy, be sure to visit us online at CannabisEnlightened.com and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Media. Produced in San Diego, California.